Welcome to the Race Car Junkies podcast with your host, Peter Jones. Join us every Wednesday as we dive into all things road racing, building, and beyond. And now, here's your host, Peter Jones. Hey, everybody. Welcome to another episode of Race Car Junkies. This is Peter Jones. I've got Zach George today. Zach's a fellow NASA Specky 46 racer, funny man, and all-around good dude that I met in the paddock. Zach, thanks for coming in. Uh, I wanted to talk about a few things today, but let's start off with the season opener for SoCal at Auto Club. This was not only the absolute last NASA event to be held at Auto Club for the fourth year running, but it was also probably the wettest event or a SoCal event ever, at least my recollections. That sound about right from your experience? You know, I... I'm from the Northwest, and I'm going to say it was probably the wettest event that I've ever experienced. Okay, that's that's uh, that that puts a spin on it for sure. Then, yeah, Legacy decided to be sticks in the mud and stay home, uh, primarily for myself because I spent three days cleaning my car after the 25. But also, rain just really isn't my thing. I learned that about myself about a. <laughs> A half hour into the three hours that I spent in the rain in the middle of the night in the 25 this year, it was awful. I hated it. I was jealous of the people that could do it around me. The thought car that appeared to be on slick tires that was flying by me as I was creeping along. I really just wanted to get out of the car and let someone else that could do it get in. I know we have a Becky 46 SoCal group chat going on. And you seem to be hoping for rain, and I suppose that was because you like it and you're familiar with it. Yeah, yeah, for sure. They always say being comfortable being uncomfortable, I guess, is the cliche term that's thrown around. And the rain is not something that scares me away, and I know that it did others. And I've been looking for a competitive advantage since I moved down here, and that was that was it. So I was doing uh, all kinds of rain dances in the uh, paddock, much to my competitor's chagrin. Uh, yeah, I saw I saw that come across our, our little chat feed that you were looking forward to. So Saturday, there it was a no questions asked, it's going to be wet all day. I paid attention up here. I watched the weather. I watched Peter Anepo's in-car on Saturday, and I was watching Race Hero, the live timing from up here. So Saturday, it was wet from the morning all the way through the afternoon, no questions. Sunday, you guys had a reprieve in the morning, and it looked like there was an opportunity that you might actually have a dry race, and you were campaigning for some more moisture to come back in and, and wet it down again, right? Yeah, so as far as Sunday was concerned, everybody had pretty much committed to dries until about 15, 20 minutes before the race. There was some rain coming in. You could see if you were watching the satellite, it was rolling its way through, but everybody's like, ah, it's gonna hit the end of the race. It's gonna be a little bit late. It started to sprinkle and sprinkle turned into a downpour and everybody ran to the garages and put on reins as fast as they could, myself included. Um, well, those that had reins, yeah. um, put them on as fast as they could. And then, you know, it was, it was soaking wet the entire race. Yeah. So then there, <laughs> so it really wasn't much of a choice in terms of whether I know in the, uh, nationals that would have been fantastic for you. You had some motor issues that kind of knocked you out for the weekend. You left your reins behind for Phil. But as we approached that race, it was similar to what happened to you guys on Sunday down there where the clouds were there, the green band was on radar, 
the timing was questionable. Our races are really only 30 minutes from the time they let you on the track to the time they pull you off the track. So that can swing to where I think if we go back to like Willow Springs, you guys went out for a dry race with big dark clouds all over you and then got dumped in the middle of it. Yeah, you know, as far as tire choice is concerned, though, I think Jason Frazier put it best when they interviewed him at the end of the champs race. The RR is better than the RA1 unless there's standing water. Yeah. And so, you know, at Willow Springs, if I were to do it over again, I would have chose to still start in the RRs and finish in the RRs because there wasn't enough standing water for it to be a problem. Auto Club, there was standing water except for in the oval. And uh, yeah, that was definitely, RA1 was the, was the tire choice. Yeah, Willow's Willow's got a lot of pitch to it. Imagine it sheds water. Walking a, a track walk on there too, the aggregate's fairly deep, so it probably was able to take that, get rid of it. For Auto Club, I mean, we had rain. This is California right now. This is kind of I'm a born and raised Northern Californian, so I've seen this numerous times. It is five to ten years apart where it does this heavy, heavy rain for you know six to seven, ten days straight where the the ground just can't take any more water and asphalt's the same way i mean it's essentially it can soak up a bunch of water and then at some point it just coughs it out and says that's all i can handle yeah auto club was a very i would say a unique situation though the amount of water that was shedded that the oval shed into the infield and the general lack of drainage we'll call it california drainage yeah there were foot deep puddles. I mean, we're throwing water into the car. I've, you know, I'm from the Northwest, so I already pulled the plug on my floorboard so the water could make its way out, but it was shooting up into the car. I think, I think you might've saw my, uh, my video from, from the Saturday race. Yeah. And, uh, it, I had water on my camera inside yeah. the car. I yeah. mean, it was, it was a lot of water. Yeah. We didn't have anywhere near the heavy, heavy downpour like you had uh, when we were running the 25, but I know in cleaning up my car after the 25 and watching some of the in-car video, just just out of a curiosity point, you know, when I was looking at where the water went, we had some radio issues, and I have the Motorola head unit tucked way up underneath the dash, up on top of the tunnel, well out of the harm's way, and it was soaking wet. Like the spray coming in the windows just the negative pressure that's built in the cabin, aside from whatever was spraying through the floor and through the doors and everywhere else. Every time uh, a high downforce car went by, the spray was actually headed towards the windshield, towards the dash. It was pretty crazy to see where all of that came from. So the Pacific Northwest, then you were you were racing in the Pacific Northwest. Did you start out in a Specky Forty Six, or you've had raced for a little while now? Yeah. Yep. This is actually going to be my uh, tenth year of racing, which makes me feel old because I started as the young guy in the paddock. But I, I actually started in a Corvette. So my story is my uncle was in a Corvette club that just all, also happened to do autocross. Decided he wanted to go autocrossing. He talked my dad into helping him build a car because my family has an automotive repair shop and has since the 50s. I got wind of it, got jealous, and me and my brother decided to decided to build a C4. 
um, for the autocross purposes. We did that for a year, but the end of the year was a track day. And I went around the big track and decided I'm not autocrossing anymore. The road racing, the track stuff's a lot more fun. So me, my dad, and my uncle all started racing the same year, went through the novice program. It's the International Conference of Sports Car Clubs, ICSCC, also known as Conference up north. It's the biggest road racing organization in the Pacific Northwest. So yeah, we started there and I, we had a, it was called ST, but it would be really the equivalent of ST3 in NASA. But yeah, I raced a raced a C5 and built a C5 and raced a C5 for the first six years and then um, had quite a bit of success there and decided I wanted to try something um, in the spec class range and then that's when uh, I went the spec E46 route. Gotcha. So with the uh, with conference up there, I know we have Tim Connell. Tim Connell is one of our clients. His car is housed here. He runs with conference up in the Pacific Northwest or he had done kind of both the last couple of years. He's got a BRZ that he's running up there now and then coming down here and running Specky 46 with us. But I guess I've never really asked the questions about what it takes to get involved with conference up there. I know what it did for NASA. There was an HPDE progression, comp school, licensing with a provisional, you know, kind of a rookie deal. Make sure that you're not causing people problems before they really let you go. Is it, is it similar in conference or is it a little more uh, loosey-goosey? It's, it's similar. Um, I, w- I definitely wouldn't say it's more loosey-goosey. The conference actually has a really good novice program. So you have to go to one of their sanctioned track days. So it would be similar like to an HPDE day. They've got the school days. You go through their comp school. Once you've made it through then, then you go into what would be similar to like NASA provisional. And the the numbers were higher back when I started. And so we had a dedicated novice race group. And so the novice race group, yeah, yeah, it it actually worked out great because all of the things that they, you know, they trick you with in comp school, they can do in a full on race scenario. So instead of doing, you know, a mock start, you're doing real starts. And so you work through, you do, you have to do three novice races. And once you do three novice races, they have like an intermediary license. I think they call it an area road racing license. And then that's your provisional. Once you've completed three races as an area successfully, then you get your senior license. But the novice program, you know, you do novice races. They're watching over you. You have to do some book work as well as, you know, the on-track etiquette. They end up doing some feedback with other drivers as well. So they'll put a couple senior drivers out on the track to observe both on track as in other cars, as well as in some of the turn stations. So that's something I, you know, I always thought that conference did really well was that novice program. And I think NASA's got a pretty decent program as you progress through HPDE. But the one thing where I think conference has the leg up is the novice race group where, you know, they're, they're really tracking you in, in a, in a race scenario, but before they throw you to the wolves. Does conference have anything that is not racing related, or is it a program that's essentially guiding you towards racing? It's for the most part. So some of that's changed. The numbers have declined over the course of the last few years. And I think everybody's seeing that the lucky dogs, chump car, champ car, lemons has really started to scalp some drivers. And so they've been trying some other things um, like time trials and, and HPDE, but the base conference group has been uh, predominantly just racing. Well, yeah, that's that's cool, Zach. I, the reason I ask about 
conference and the way that they progress is I didn't really know. I had a father-in-law that was running in NASA. I didn't look at any other organizations. I was a motorcycle guy that was transplanting. All I knew is what my dad told me for years, which is racing is super expensive. It's not something that we can touch. And that was from a family that was riding dirt bikes and going snowboarding, snow skiing, racing sailboats. I mean, we were doing all kinds of stuff that wasn't cheap. Um, and it, to him, seemed like a bridge too far. As I started dipping my toe into it, I could certainly see that that was a possibility. What my father-in-law was doing is way more expensive than what you and I are currently doing. But what you and I are doing isn't that different than what a guy on a golf course is doing if he's golfing three, four days a week. I was able to justify it on my side that if I dump that money, into racing that I could do it. The one thing that wasn't clear to me was how long it was going to take me. I knew what the progression was with NASA, what I had to do. I had to start at HPTE 1, I had to work up through 2, 3, and 4. And then from there, I had a choice of whether I was going to go into time trials or try to go to comp school and get a race license and get a provisional. And I decided to do that. When I try and convince folks that racing is attainable and achievable, sometimes the timeline is a little bit of a, a turnoff. I could see the attraction of what conference was doing where they're getting you involved in a wheel-to-wheel -wheel racing scenario a little bit earlier. That's your path. I am here to race. I am not here to drive my car on the track. Yeah, you know, this is a conversation, it was funny, me and my dad and my uncle had a lot. There's a lot of people that don't even know that you can go drive your car on the track. You know, just, just general marketing of the sport is pretty poor, and I'm not, you know, calling anybody out. But the reality is that people don't know that they can just go drive their street car on the track. You know, you get lots of guys that have cool cars and they don't know that they can go take it to the road course. They may know that you can go to the drag strip and they know that wheel to wheel racing is NASCAR. They know that road racing exists, but it seems, you know, that bridge too far even to just go track your car. So the step from there to racing obviously, you know, is a leap and there's there's a cost component, but you know, that's that's one of the, again those conversations. I got started racing well before I had the final finances to do it. So you were early, early thirties, I imagine when you got going doing this. It, yeah, I was, I was actually late twenties. Yeah. yeah. So the, uh, I'm not 40 yet. I'm really close, like Sorry. months away, My bad. <laughs> but I went and bought a C5 and there was a guy who was planning on doing some track stuff. Never did had a handful of parts in a box. And I actually brought it up from California, which is kind of funny. And the, at the, at, that was in 2000, yeah, it was 2008, 2009, when the economy was trouble and got a decent deal on a car, brought it up north, I stripped it, got the same guy that did the cage in my uncle's car, talked him into giving me a deal. And then, you know, we're talking like eBay parts and just something somewhat better than street parts to get going. Ran on scrubs and, you know, that car I think is a great platform to start with. I think the E46 is also a similar platform that it doesn't take much better than, you know, good street car form to, to make the car a really fun track car and really even turn it into a race car. And so it kind of goes down to the one 
people have to know that the racetrack is accessible for everybody. I mean, the tracks want people there. They want to put people into cars and, and onto the track. And, you know, it's a great gateway drug into uh, the the racing side of this. And, you know, that's something I, you know, I got involved in, you know, did some volunteer work up north. And, it, you know, again, it's always that conversation. How do you, how do you get people, you know, one, to understand that, you know, maybe you don't have to go full out, you know, wheel-to-wheel racing, but if you do, it's more accessible and more attainable than it seems. Well, I think you're probably right. I've been doing this a while now, and and I didn't really come to the understanding that when I'm not at the track, somebody else is at the track until last year. (laughs) I went up to Thunderhill on an off weekend where you know, we've been running at least two weekends a month between the NASA NorCal and the NASA SoCal events. So I'm, I'm pretty much on the go all of the time. And if I'm not at the track, I'm at the shop getting stuff ready to go to the track. And Peter Hopelane asked me to come up to Thunderhill. They were taking the Boxster out. And I said, sure. And it was just a test day. And it happened to be a Porsche Club of America weekend. And I show up and the paddock is full. And it was... It was sort of at that point that I realized that, holy cow, like, like there's a whole different group of people that have the same passion that I have doing it on a different weekend at a different track. And they don't know I exist and I didn't know they existed. And it's, it's sort of that same thing where I think that getting that word out is more difficult than it should be. For sure. Again, kind of stories from up north, the uh, Pacific Raceways, which is, it's an older track. It's pretty close right in between the Seattle and Tacoma areas, which are the two big metro areas for for the Northwest. Everybody knows that there's a drag strip there, and they have a big national NHRA race there every year. There's people that go to the drag race and don't even know that there's a road course there. Yeah. And the drag strip is part of the road course. And it's just, you know, again, one of those things that people don't know it's there. You get people interested and you know for me you know it's just going around it's really cool to tell people you're a race car driver right so you know in in those conversations but where it goes from there is well you can be too yeah getting people to the track in you know street cars is something that i think that we should all be doing as racers one for the health of the sport and also just to share i mean it's fun it's a good atmosphere and it, you know, it's it's one of those things that I think it's it is starting to fall off just a little bit. I mean, I, that's you know one one difference down here versus up north that's been pretty fun is the, the Specky Forty Six is alive and well and very healthy. But you know, there's other places you know throughout the country you look and you see and you know they're putting three four cars maybe sure. on track. Yeah, growing the sport is something I've had a somewhat of a passion for and. You know, it'd be, it's that unanswerable question of how do you get people out there? That's probably no truer than my experience. The car that I actually started with was my daughter's Audi TT. So I did a little bamboozle maneuver, right? So I've, I'm a little further ahead of you in the, in the child raising department. I've got one married off and one that's graduating college. So, uh, her first car was like a, I don't know, 2002 Audi TT stick shift. I figured let's put her in the car. She's got a shift. She can't talk on the phone. We've only got one other seat. We can only have one other friend. This isn't going to get too crazy. And when she's done with it, I'll turn it into a race car. <laughs> so I didn't realize at the time that an Audi TT would be a terrible race car. I hadn't <laughs> done enough research there. But it was a very fun 
track car and for my DE progression, that got me through HPDE1, HPDE2, and into HPDE3 before I got tired of replacing axles on it and finally moved over to the E46 platform. But that car was a $1,500 car. And I put some Nitto NT01s on it. And I mean, I could get G-forces out of it. I could make the tires squeal. I wasn't having the, the hairy heart palpitations that I had road racing motorcycles, but I was having a lot of fun. And, and that was enough to keep me around and to get me involved. You've uh, mentioned earlier that you've got your brother, your uncle, and your father. You're not physically in the automotive industry currently. You managed to break away from that a little bit. You're an engineer of some sort, if I remember. Aer aerospace plastics shaped like things <laughs> that we might recognize. Yeah, so I, I am in plastic extrusion. So the, uh, I only have half an engineering degree. That's my, it's my minor. I, I was over in the engineering department because that's really where my heart was. But I, I, I entered college thinking I was going to get a business degree. And um, so I did. Um, but I spent enough time over in the engineering department. I ended up with another degree. I could have stayed in school and doubled majored, but I got a job and it, it ended up funding my racing. So the, uh, that was the right move. Yeah. So yeah, I, I manage a, a plastic extrusion business. We operate a number of lines that are basically adult Play-Doh machines. And we make yeah, 2D shapes, so long extruded profiles for predominantly the aerospace industry, but we, we do other things as well. I think it's cool knowing that guys have jobs that aren't race car related, right? I mean, I was a general contractor for 25 years. The guy that I'm paddock next to at the race cleans pools for a living. You know, there may be a guy who wears a suit all day and that's how he can afford it. But there's a lot of blue collar folks, white collar folks and, and you know, pink shirt folks in there, whatever, whatever. It's all different walks of life that are out there. And some of the more expensive cars tend to be the guys that have more dough, but that's not necessarily the case. I, we've got a guy up here in NorCal that races spec E30s, which so that's, you know, sort of an antiquated beater car that can be had for not a lot of money these days. And that guy's wife's the president of the Ferrari club and he's got a Ferrari and they go cruising in their Ferrari and he lives in the great big gated community up in the hills up here. And you wouldn't know it. He's just happy as a clam to be there. And after five cracks his beer with everybody else and and does this thing. He doesn't need the most expensive car out there to have a good time. He just likes the camaraderie and racing that is that community up there, similar to what we have in SoCal with the Specky 46 community. I mean, I think that's why that that particular region has grown as much as it has is, you know, especially when I show up, it's a good group of people. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I, I... For me, it was really about, you know, once I got into racing, um, then you're making the decision of where where you're going to continue to grow. Um, you know, like I said, I, I started in a C5 Corvette. I built it, I basically detuning it for ST3, um, the equivalent of ST3, and went pretty crazy with the car. I mean, I, I was making my own molds so I could make, you know, 
carbon fiber splitter and, you know, made my own headlight buckets and, you know, went full arrow with it and all kinds of stuff. I got really crazy. But then, you know, then it gets to, you know, what I really enjoy is the wheel-to-wheel action and finding where the competition is. And, you know, you talk about Spec E30. So up north, they have Spec E30 on steroids. It's called Pro 3. And that there's a lot of competition there. And Spec E46 started to grow, you know, with some of the guys were moving out of Spec E or out of Pro 3 because the cars were getting so expensive. A Pro 3 car was starting to cost more expensive than the Spec E46. It just because of the level of development, the rule set is a little bit looser in those regards. But, you know, really for me, it was about chasing competition and those classes that are a little more accessible, both from a, a skill set standpoint, you know, it, it can get, it gets, you know, you get into those ST classes and some, you know, you get into the really, you know, tip top ends of it. It's hard to develop those cars. Yeah. Uh, you know, there's a lot of work. You, you know, you start talking about arrow and you know, custom parts and, you know, there's, there's a lot, there's a big commitment there, but, you know, back to the accessibility conversation, you know, you take something like a Spec E46 and there's a recipe for it. Yep. You you can, you can make it work and you may not have the fastest car, but you can really be in that solid mid pack range by just, you know, throwing the right parts on the car. Yeah. And I, I say that all the time. I mean, I, that's how I landed here. I looked at a lot. My father-in-law was a ST3 guy and he had done just about every iteration. He actually had a, a Corvette, fully built Corvette, like an ST1 car at one point in time. And it worked his way into ST3 through the GTS classes and this and that. Because as you know, like annually, there's ebbs and flows and people move. And as rule changes come about, then the class that was a big class all of a sudden disintegrates and moves somewhere else. That is one of the nice things about us in the Specky 46 community is as long as I've been doing this, I there's the annual rule proposal. And I know I watched it, you know, my first year and I was like, oh, that, that seems like a good idea. And oh, that would be a good idea. And I used to wonder why everybody poo-pooed and said, no, it's just no, 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 no. Now I get it because I have a stable of cars that I have to maintain. And if they allow a rule change, that's a rule change that affects a stable of cars. Not just me, it doesn't just make me happy, but then you look at the hundreds of Specky 46s across the, the country that everybody has to do that. So the only rule changes that are allowed are, are rules that either further clarify and, and paint us into a corner of what can't be done, or are things that they say, sure, it's not a performance advantage, go ahead and do that, that's fine. Like this year they, finally made a, a clarification and an acknowledgement that we can physically remove the ignition switch and have it be a push button and a, and a switch. We don't have to use the key anymore, which, you know, I, that was the first thing I did in my first car because <laughs> it's a race car. That's what you do. And I think a lot of people have done that, but it wasn't in the rule set. But again, it's not anything that that's necessarily performance related. Like you said, there's a recipe, there's a spec set of parts that you put on the car. Some people put them on in a, uh, more meticulous fashion and others slap them together in, in a garage and that car can be at the front of the pack. There's nothing that says that that car, because it's shoddy workmanship, isn't fast or doesn't have a fast driver. And I dig that. I really dig that about the class that it's still a thing that is accessible and can be garage built. I'm assuming then with your background and your your family history and everybody was throwing in and building cars you built 
your Spiky 46 or did you, did you buy that one? A little bit of both. So I bought a car that was quote unquote done. It wasn't bad. Somebody had bought it and had a shop build it for them. I, the shop didn't go crazy on the competitive side because they, their customer lost interest. Um, and then I brought it in from the East coast and it was, you know, it was mostly, mostly there. It had most of the parts really heavy. It ended up, I mean, it was, it was like 110 pounds overweight and we'll, we'll say, we'll say per, it was, it was heading in the right direction. So, but it was, you know, it was caged and they had done the suspension and they had bought the parts and then I just finished it up the rest of the rest of the way. And it, th that was more of a time, time side of it. The professionally I'm pretty busy and I have a lot of other hobbies outside of racing and, you know, just starting fresh on a new build would have cut into my racing time. So yeah, I, I went ahead and bought, bought a car. Well, they, yeah, I mean, they exist and there's absolutely nothing wrong with them. Like, just like you said, I mean, would you have bought a different shock package or a different spring package or a different, I mean, those are all the spec parts, right? So yeah, you, you may have a preference on some of the things that are open-ended in terms of, you know, Phil loves the Vorschlag camber plates and I can't stand them. I'd rather do the ground controls personally, but you know, there's, there are a few options in our rule set that allow you to make some of those changes. But for the most part, if somebody has a spec legal car and it has a decent straight tub, that's a, that's a just fine starting place uh, and may not need anything other than some cosmetic work. Who knows? Yeah. And the weight, you know, the, I think what's, really done well with spec e46 the weight's pretty attainable i mean, you know that that one tends to be a little more of a debate than than the others but there's nothing about the car once you've applied the spec parts that is difficult to do i mean outside of getting getting a cage in the car i think most garage home mechanics if that's the way you want to save some money can get most of the way there you know you look at the quality of builds over the course of the last, you know, four or five years, you know, I, I've been, this will be my fourth year in the spec car. The quality of builds has really gone up. You know, you look at, you know, some of the cars you guys are doing where you're taking them all the way down to the tub. They're beautiful. They're, they're great. And I think that's why you guys are selling a lot of them and you can't, you won't keep any of them either. Even, you know, up North, if you look at some of the first cars, they, they didn't go real crazy with them, but those guys are real fast. But then, you know, other guys have gone real crazy. I mean, the I think you saw Jason Frazier's car when you were you were down here. He, his car's beautiful. Chris Hart he built one where he powder coated the tub, the whole thing. Car is gorgeous. Yeah, mine's not that nice, but the uh, you know you you put some of these superhuman drivers in them because we've got a, a, quite a few of those in Specy Forty Six because it's so competitive. There's you know the you're not you're not talking seconds. You're talking portions of seconds with the top ends of the builds. My first car. I thought was really nice. I mean, I really did. I wrapped it and whatever, and I rattle canned the inside of it. And I did it, you know, I, I cut the doors and I, I did some stuff and I thought it was really nice. I look back on it now and it was very rough, you know, in comparison. And we actually, we sold Phil's car uh, and it's still local. It was in my shop here for a while for a, a motor, but again, you know, that's looking at it. And, and that was, several cars in where I was getting better and doing a little bit more each time. And, and where I am now in the builds and what I do, 
I am no faster on track other than what I've learned to do differently on track. My cars are certainly nicer and put together nicer than they were previously, but they don't make me go any faster. And then I stick Mayshore behind the wheel of my car and all of a sudden it does all of these magical things that it doesn't do with me behind the wheel. So you're 100% right there. And I do like the fact that most of the field in NorCal and SoCal, they're garage built cars. They're dudes that work on their own cars to some extent. And amongst the community guys are able to throw in and, and change a motor or you know, do a clutch or do something along those lines. These aren't these aren't cars that are overly complicated and need to go out to a shop to be maintained. And that's and that's super cool. You had a tough time in 2022 with with motors. You do your own motor work. <laughs> yeah, I've done a uh, I've done a lot of motor work the, <laughs> this last year. Unfortunately, I I, I promise I had a more uh, reliable uh, racing program before I moved to Southern California. It was. Um, it's been a little rough, but I'm I'm three races in now, with without a without having to pull a motor out of it. So I'm I'm doing great. <laughs> um, but yeah, yeah, I do I do all my own work. I mean, I go down to I I mount my own tires. I you know I pulling motors apart. Whether or not I should, I guess, is going to be in question after this last year. But <laughs> you know, it's uh, part part of that has to do with if I. Uh, if I had somebody else do the work, my uh, my dad and my brother probably make fun of me. There's a toxic masculinity component to this, but the other part of it too, you know, I just the I do I do enjoy making it, you know, doing it myself. And um, if somebody else does it, then they wouldn't do it my way, and that that's that's a big problem. Again, this is this is where you come. Well, if maybe your way isn't working, Zach, but <laughs> the. Uh, the big joke is uh, my next livery is going to have to be. I'm going to do an Instapot livery on my car instead of what? What? What's my? What, what do I currently have on the car? Flames. Oh yeah, flames. Yeah, sky flames. Oh, I've started to decide that I can probably call them sky flames. Sky flames. All right. Sky flames. Yeah. Flames nonetheless. Zach. Zach refers to them as lightning bolts. He says that they look like lightning bolts, which I will give them our sky flames. We'll go with Sky Flames. I, I think we've come a long way to Sky Flames. Yeah. We've, we've nearly bridged that gap. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, so yeah, I, I manage my own car. You know, I it's not that I've never had help. I was on the phone with my dad chasing down a power issue. I still haven't solved. But the uh, chasing that down this weekend. So I, I do have a little bit of a leg up with uh, some past experience and some knowledgeable uh, friends and family. But... It's definitely something. I, mean, I don't have a ton of time, but I'm I'm able to to sort some of this out and manage it myself. You know, partly just just to show just to show I can. <laughs> but it's something that you were raised around, right? So you and the family. You it was you. Whether you want to see it as an example of what somebody could do or not, it was something that you saw your your father and your uncle doing, working on cars. It may have been their their livelihood, but it was something that nowadays is getting to be kind of a lost art. The only reason that I even grew up doing any of this, not that my dad was a prolific mechanic or anything, but he changed his own oil and we put a clutch in the Toyota Celica at one point in time and we put a lift, lift kit on the the Toyota pickup, you know, so I had at least a, 
a role model of sorts that, or a, somebody around me that was able to turn a wrench, not everything had to go to the mechanic to get done. And I, I see you doing the same thing with your son, Chase, and I think that's awesome. I mean, he's a, he's a young, young man, yeah? So, yeah, yeah. So he's eight. He'll be... He'll be nine here in a, in a few weeks. And he's pretty much responsible for at least two of the last three motor changes, if I'm not, not mistaken. He's, he's, he's been out there. At least your, uh, your Facebook posts make it seem he, he may be the Instagram version of, of uh, little kids that are engine changers, but he has seen dad pull a motor. There's, yeah, there's, there's a little bit of a, uh highlight reel um asterisk on some of that but yeah no he's he's somewhat he's somewhat interested yeah the uh he he hangs out with me out there and really uh, the i'm trying real hard to make his life a little less minecraft and a little more uh in the shop you know real life but he's definitely interested i'm hoping to give keep him more interested i always i always like to tell the story that you know as i get older i'm gonna need somebody to uh to co-drive in some of these endurance races and I, I need him to be need him to be at least able to do some of that but I actually had him on the radios at at Willow Springs awesome. yeah the uh, my wife was my wife was out of town and and he he came and hung out at the track with me and helped change the tires and do all that and he uh, his his knowledge is much higher than his uh, willingness to uh, help sometimes <laughs> but the uh, the Instagram side, he really likes the uh, the hoist. Yeah. So when it comes to uh, the cherry picker, he 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 likes to do that part of it and anything underneath the car because it's kind of I've got a little mid rise lift that I that I've got in my garage and that that's a fort. Yeah, and uh, yeah, no, he's he's helping out. The, I just need his legs to grow a little bit longer so he can bleed brakes. There you go. Yeah, that'd be good. Yeah. I, if nothing else, he's watching you do it. He's seeing you do it. He's seeing that you're not afraid of doing it. And at some point in time, when it when it becomes a necessity for him to change a tire on the side of the road, like I had a young man here probably, let's say within the last year, I had a young man that was with my daughter and her girlfriends driving around and they got a flat tire. This kid got out of the car and changed the flat tire for the girls and got back in the car. I was dumbfounded. I couldn't believe it. I thought for sure it was going to be a triple A phone call or a triple dad phone call. And the call that I actually got was my daughter telling me that, you know, hey, so-and-so just got out of the car and changed the tire. She was impressed because she doesn't know anybody that knows how to change it. Her last two, maybe three boyfriends didn't know how to do anything. They'd come to my place for me to change a headlight bulb or, you know, do something stupid on the car. So I think it's cool whether he chooses to do it or not is obviously up to him, but he's at least seeing. Whoa, whoa, whoa. Oh. No, it's not. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> okay. Well, that's fine. It's up to you. I got you. I, I don't want to keep you too long, but you mentioned endurance racing. I know you were chomping at the bit to run some works this year. It seemed like it. And we were trying to figure out whether, Auto Club was the first event or not. Now the schedule is finally out. Four events, two at Chuckwalla, two at Buttonwillow, right? How yep. many are you doing? I don't know yet. So the <laughs> chomping at the bit. So I was telling you about my uncle. So my uncle just sold his car. And so I'm going to have him 
He, he's probably going to come out. I think we're going to run Button Willow for sure. I don't think we're going to run the first Chuck Walla event, but the uh, the second is is definitely a possibility. I might go the Cirque route. Okay. Let me clarify for those that don't know. So the NASA SoCal region recently dropped on us uh, sort of a welcome surprise, which is they're starting the Cirque, which is the Southern Endurance Racing Challenge, if I'm not mistaken. Not a championship. It's a challenge. Okay. There you go. Okay. Now, so tell us all about Cirque, Zach. Well, I don't know everything about Cirque, but the, the two things just from a, a going to the ease of ease of racing side of this, they're not running in the dark, which I'm not afraid of a lot, but running in the dark at Buttonwillow, I spent some time watching and I've spent some time crewing for other people. That dust... I don't know why I keep seeing them. There's a lot of wanted cars that li- and they're leaving that race. And I'll probably, you know, upset somebody with that comment. But, you know, I, I like the idea of, of running in, you know, the daylight just because, you know, going, taking your sprint car and, you know, running that in the endurance racing, not have to deal with lights is a convenience factor. And then just a little bit shorter races, you know, having, you know, with a, a couple of drivers and being able to pull that off relatively easily both of those make it better for for me i've run my car in some eight hour races so the it's there but you know it lumping that in with a sprint race weekend cutting some of the the time down and not having to deal with the lights helps out a little bit so yeah I'll, i'll definitely be doing some endurance races this year with my car and then the uh the question is, I might might do some other with some other people as well, but we'll we'll see. Yeah, I mean that one's sneaking up on us pretty fast, but there are some other opportunities. And like you said, Button Willow is in there. The other thing that I thought was cool was that they had a mandatory minimum pit stop time. So similar to Lucky Dog, where they're putting in a, a five minute pit stop. Five minute will make it something that you and your uncle can basically handle yourselves. <laughs> Well, that's, that's very cool. And it's cool that your uncle will make it down and you guys will get back to racing together. I guess it's been a while since that's happened, since you've been at the, the same track or racing at the same time. So that's awesome. All four families doing that, at least until Chase can reach the pedals. Yeah, I'm hoping he gets into it because that's better than forcing him into the car. I think he'll be faster if he wants to be there. Oh, absolutely. He may be the next phenom and you'll be chasing him around. So that'll, that'll be interesting and fun. It's quite a ways down the road. He's got, well, Casey Mayshore started in Lucky Dogs at 16. So Chase is only eight years down the way. Yeah. Well, then we got Lucas out there too. Yeah. He's like 12. What's that? uh, I think he just turned 13. Bar Mitzvah, I heard. Oh, cool. Whatever. Whatever bar mitzvah age is, so yeah, both of those guys are crazy fast. Though I was um, actually, it was funny. I was telling the story. Chase Chase has been asking me how I've been doing because I haven't been doing as good down here as I uh, I had up north. <laughs> and uh, part of that being because my car keeps breaking down. But he uh, he asked me how I did, and I said I I I, I did really good. I, I I placed first amongst all the humans, and yeah. then uh, then there was Lucas and Casey. I know that they've had a little bit of experience in the rain over the course of the last, uh, with between the 25 hour and the champs, but they did phenomenal. Yeah, you know, I would say, I mean, there was, there was a couple guys that did pretty good in the rain, 
despite the the lack of comfort because of the SoCal thing. And but those two guys, man, they they put on a clinic. They they really did. Yeah, they were chasing each other pretty well. I know Sunday as I was watching and I talked to Lucas, he said there was just like numerous lead changes throughout that race and. Uh, Auto Club is one of those tracks that sort of lends you to that. You're kind of a little bit of a sitting duck running around the high bank, and the guy can draft up on you and then late break you and whatever. But that had to have been a blast for them. That's the first time, aside from the 25, that's the first time that they've sprint raced together in quite a while. The season last year didn't really allow for it with the overlap between NorCal and SoCal on those weekends. So, you know, choices were made and the guys had to just sort of run their respective championships. But yeah, this this will be an interesting season. I know that Casey intends to pursue the NASA, SoCal and NASA, NorCal championships diligently this year since they're open. So it's good for Lucas to get a little run for his money and uh, we'll, we'll, we'll see where that winds up. Well, Zach, I want to thank you for uh, touching base today and spending a little time. I appreciate it. I think that the lesson learned here is to not be afraid of the rain, spend a little bit of time in the water, get, what did you say, get comfortable being uncomfortable? Comfortable being uncomfortable. That's that's probably what I need to do myself personally. Uh, I know we had an opportunity here a couple weeks ago, and I may pursue uh, if I get an opportunity, I just wish I still had a dirty car. Maybe I'll, maybe I could probably take, <laughs> I thought I'd take, I, that's what I should do is I'll take one of the boxsters out to a, uh, uh, a DE day with, you know, one of the other track day organizations on a nice wet day and just spend some time out there. I just don't want to get Jolene dirty again. Though. It was just, <laughs> it's just too much, too much cleaning to take her back to showroom condition. So. Well, if you weren't selling cars every 20 minutes, you wouldn't have to worry about showroom condition. I know. I know. I've, I've thought about that as well. If I just, you know, put a beater together and just called it mine, then I wouldn't have to worry about it. But it doesn't exactly help sell cars. So <laughs> I've got to keep doing what I'm doing. All right, Zach, I appreciate you coming in. I thank you all for listening and look forward to tuning in next week. Thanks for listening to the Race Car Junkies podcast. Tune in every Wednesday for new episodes. This episode is brought to you by Leap Consulting Solutions and Legacy Motorworks.